Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. Dodie Brown, congratulations on your induction in the South Dakota Hall of Fame. Were you surprised when you got the word and, and they, they wanted to include you? Well, I was delighted. Um, I had known about the nomination, of course, and um, but I was, I was delighted and, and sure surprised that I would be selected for this nice honor. Tell us a little bit about your story. What's the Dodie Brown story? Well, I think I'm being honored with uh, the induction into the Hall of Fame because of my leadership in developing hospice program in Rapid City, South Dakota. And throughout that experience, I was able to interact with a number of people throughout the state, share policies and procedures, share success stories, and actually encourage them to become certified by Medicare for the citizens of their communities. Um, I our program of Rapid City Regionals Hospice of the Hills was the first program in South Dakota to, to obtain Medicare certification, which was like a licensure process. And that was significant because that enabled hospice programs to receive reimbursement for the care and it provided a whole range of services for patients and families that wouldn't be available if, if they weren't getting it from a Medicare certified program. So that was pretty significant for South Dakota residents. Getting to that part of your story though, it, it didn't start there. Your, your, your story in healthcare led to that point with that right. special interest in hospice care right. and being a leader. What tell us, lead us up to that point. Well, I was the director of home care for a number of years and in fact started in the health department as a staff nurse when we were developing home health care, which was only established by uh, um, Congress in 1965 through, through Medicare. So in those early days, we were really growing services for home care. And I became a director of the program in Pennington County. And during that time, I think I'd have to say I was inspired by the staff who actually came to me and said, we really need to do more. There's terminally ill patients in our community that um, need more than what we're providing. And they were really the spark plug be behind all the dreams about are getting to the point where we actually could become a hospice provider. I can only imagine <clears throat> the even in the last century, the the path of health care from when people lived with their families, they were taken care of at home. There were so many advanced professional services, but it sounds like what you saw in the vision was this return to home health care. What was the pulling those ideas together as a leader? What was that vision that you saw with your group? Well I could see essentially through the personal experiences of our staff and in our community that this was the direction we needed to go. That we were moving away from just everything being provided in a hospital and acute care. And that wasn't the comfort level that people wanted, especially when they're dealing with a long-term or, or chronic or terminally ill diagnosis. So home care was the answer. And hospice was an expansion out of that with a team effort, which was really the, the essential piece of why it was successful. We were looking at a combination of the patient's physician, 
nursing, social work, chaplains, volunteers, all coming together to provide uh, a coordinated service for the patients and their families. And that was um, unique in that at that time. Uh, at, and it built on really the values that people have. They want to be at home, the comfort of being near their families mm -hmm. for whatever time they have. And so hospice really was an answer to those kind of needs. But even though that's what they wanted, they didn't know what to ask for. Well, in, in trying to understand what a patient would ask for, you're presenting a shift in, in, I guess, what you might call the standard of care. What were some of the obstacles? Well, the real obstacle, I think, was that people were often referred late to receive hospice care. And that was kind of built on, you know, the uh, beliefs that people and the physicians in the community thought you should treat people forever. And the focus on curative care or the desire for curative care is just a part of American society. So it was always a challenge to really get to the point of saying, the focus now needs to be comfort care. And that has taken some time to, I think, communicate to our um, communities that that's not the easiest thing to accept that we're at that point in our lives where that's the focus, that should be the focus. It's getting better over time, but it was a challenge to have patients and their families be able to acknowledge that that's where things were. Who did you need to convince that this was a new path and what were some of the strategies that you saw to, to well, help reach that goal? Well, of course, the big target audience would be the physicians, you know, having them feel comfortable that now was the time to be brave enough to focus on curative, not curative care, but on comfort care, and to be able to present that to patients and families. Now it's, I think, much more accepted than it was, you know, in the early 80s when we were trying to get this program off the ground. And our focus for changing all that was basically education, you know, um, talking to physician groups, uh, I gave thousands of talks in the community, so I was also focusing on community education, and our whole team did that. But over time, the success of what we accomplished with the families was so on board, they were so appreciative that that reputation began to take hold and people began to understand why hospice was appropriate and, and valued. Was, was there a, can you think of maybe a specific turning point when you realized that your message was getting through, that the standard of care and the approach was going to change? Well, I don't know if I could pinpoint an exact time other than to say that as the referrals increased and as um, sort of the testimonials, I think, from families um, became known and appreciated, uh, it become, became more accepted physicians came on board, um, and we, we could see that as the program grew, more and more people uh, were comfortable with the whole healthcare community was. But it wasn't ever a time when I could say that um, there's still people that struggle with the timing of hospice and, mm. and when they're ready for it. And so it's, it's still an ongoing education process. In the process of building the program, in the Rapid City area, there had to be some point when you could see you were venturing into a little bit of area of unknown. That you, I, I, I get the feeling that you 
you felt you were on the right path, but there was a lot of work that had to be done, and you might know not know exactly what that is. How do you overcome that and keep moving forward? I think that strong belief in what you're doing, and you know, I was, along with our team, I was so convinced that we were on the right track, uh, and we were following a, a national trend, and uh, we were, I guess the persistence of saying, you know, we, we knew that we had to do it. If we didn't, nobody else would. And we believed in it so strongly that we were knowing we we're on the right track and we had so much to offer patients and families that we just, you know, you accepted where we were and kept moving on and kept doing the things about getting to groups, getting community people to know what to ask for. And you know, once they understood the Medicare hospice benefit, which was providing so much service for people, that it was mainly a process of teaching them what was valuable, what was available, and having their families be more comfortable embracing it and asking for those services. Aside from that, from that specialty care for patients, have you had the chance to talk with, with younger healthcare professionals or administrators and pass along some guidance on how to maybe follow an inspiration or follow a, a, a vision that uh, they, they feel may need some change? Well, I think throughout my um, career, we had a lot of opportunity to work with different younger health professionals. And I was impressed with some of the uh, student nurses that came to us during their affiliations and wanted to do a practicum in home health and hospice. And that was a great opportunity for them to look at the whole spectrum of care. And a number of them were, were really um, embraced the whole idea of, of what hospice did and what home health could do. So getting them into opportunities to work with us was fundamental. And the same thing applied to some of the people that were in social work and um, spiritual care services, mm -hmm. that the uh, education piece, the internship kind of process was, was very valuable. And uh, so I think they just learned by working with us. And some of them continued that direction in other communities. We did a lot of um, training in, with volunteers and that interaction with community volunteers kind of spread the word too. Now, a lot of those volunteers were retired, but they spread the word amongst their friends and families. And so we, we did a lot with uh, wherever that opportunity presented itself to embrace them and invite them to you know, make visits with our staff, um, join in the education and training that we provided. And, and it grew from there. When you, when you think about the success that you've had in your career, the change that you have helped make, can you look back on your education process, the way that you interacted with people and see some, some key points where you were doing the right thing at the right time, and as it turned out, that preparation really set the stage for things that would happen later? Well, I guess I would say that when I started working in community health, um, right after we moved to Rapid City, I was in a situation where the, the supervisors really gave us a lot of freedom. And that started, um, and we were just starting the home health agency then. So as a staff nurse, I felt um, that I could do just about anything that if I gathered a, 
a group of support for, and it was little things like teaching prenatal classes, um, starting scoliosis screening in our schools that we provided. So it was probably just the freedom of um, starting programs. And I always loved community health. Uh, and as I was working at community health, I often had opportunities to be sort of a patient advocate for people that struggled without resources. So it seemed like I was always going to service clubs to beg for money for some child that needed braces or uh, something special uh, that wasn't a huge project, but it was like meaningful that for that family. So I always describe myself as kind of a professional beggar, you know, <laughs> that I got to be pretty good at knowing where to go and where to get funds. And that was probably a little bit of uh, preparation for a lot of work that I did in fundraising. So, I mean, I was not afraid to um, write a grant, even though I wasn't a grant writer for sure. But uh, we did, in the early days of hospice, get a small grant from the Bush Foundation. And um, I remember this man saying to me, well, Dodie, I don't know that we've never given money to a hospice program because we don't want you to be tied into depending on us for operations. So tell me why we should give you money. And I said, well, you're right. He said, you're going to be successful with, with or without our money. And I said, that's true. We are. We're determined and we will get there. But what you will do is we'll get there faster. If I can get some funding from you, I could send staff to uh, out-of-state national programs for more education, more specialization. And we need that. Um, I said, I don't want to have to do a bake sale every week and, and to find money to how to send my staff to get this specialized training. Well, as, as it turned out, they did believe in my message because we did get the grant. And it was $25,000, which was the opportunity to send our physicians, our social workers, the pharmacy, the uh, nursing staff, all got to go to some national conferences and really feel comfortable in increasing their skill level in delivering hospice care. So that was kind of one of the examples of like. I was probably somewhat naive in that I didn't have any fear of trying something and um, and big and being good at at begging for money because I believed in the cause. I thought, how could anybody be negative about what we are trying to do with hospice care? You you described something early in what we were just talking about of having working where. You could do anything you want. There was potential. There was some freedom for you to innovate. Right. Not everyone recognizes that or has the courage then to use that space. What was it in you that said, I feel like I have some freedom and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move ahead? Not everyone does that. Well, I think I was a, um, a leader. Uh, I always, I suppose because I believed in whatever issue I was defending. Uh, I started out with a little bit of experience in debate and declam in high school. I wasn't afraid of public speaking. That certainly helped me. And I, I grew up in a um, Catholic school education through the ninth grade that I think must have instilled some values in me and that you had an obligation to take care of un the unfortunate. And that was part of your, I think, probably part of my Christian and Catholic value system that I felt um, that that being a part of um, not necessarily just an obligation but a desire to be community-minded and when you 
when I was in that opportunity in community health, there were so many avenues that uh, needs that were present that it just built on my personality and my upbringing. What opportunities do you see now? If if you were if you were that young woman in that same position again, what what are what are the opportunities that you see that you hope uh, the healthcare professionals will pursue and change? Well, I see all sorts of opportunities in community health because that's that's what we recognize is where people want to be, where they want to be cared for, and there's all sorts of. Uh, I think education opportunities um, in nursing, social work, to, or or in medicine, uh, we've had lots of encouraging uh, interactions with physicians who also believe that you know that's where we have to emphasize the uh, focus of helping people stay healthier and doing everything you can to build on those kind of uh, values. Um, and I see that that for other people is getting away from, I mean, people are not in the hospital long. They're out quickly. We look at the development like of telehealth and we, the, the things that have happened during the pandemic is, and I think the value of home health and hospice is being enhanced even more because people are, we're recognizing that time is not to be focused on spending more time in acute care, mm -hmm. but how can we enhance services so that people can be cared for better in outpatient settings? And that just can go anywhere. Um, all the things that we've developed with technology and uh, uh, like IV infusion and things that, there's so many different aspects of taking care of people that can be adapted. And I think the, um, that direction is is going to be continue to be enhanced. You've described at least what I I hear as a very strong public service, public good ethic that is part of your life, mm -hmm. but that has been your career. Um, is that correct? And and does that have you seen that that's that sort of uh, care for your neighbor uh, and and public service spirit pay dividends in other parts of your life? Oh, I think it's just, I have to say that my legacy has been in that work. And I see that um, back to me after I've retired, that I still live in the Rapid City community and there's so many times when people will come up to me uh, uh, in some kind of setting and thank me for the work that I did in hospice or if they've had an opportunity to have a family member stay in our hospice house. Uh, that has... Uh, just brought home the um, appreciation for what my team and I did over the years, and it is growing. As it, but I think the contact with community is ongoing, and that does make me feel that we uh, did something good for our community. And at a time when they really needed it, we built a hospice house uh, before the recession. That was the grace of God, that all happened at the time it did. Any, any final words that you might want to give that might encourage young people who entering any profession, but maybe the, the, the medical or community health profession in particular, that you think that they should keep in mind as they look for their vision? Well, I think one of the most um, positive parts of 
of the home health and hospice programs has been the whole team involvement that you aren't an island by yourself you're not just a nurse looking at one aspect of somebody's health you work as a team and that is so true in so many aspects of our community where it is successful um, I think about um, the emphasis away from the individual and the focus of being an important part of the healthcare team and using your skills and your knowledge to uh, pull all of those needs together for patients and their families because mm -hmm. uh, people don't live as islands and they need all the resources coordinated in a way that has meaning and effectiveness for people and their families. Mm -hmm. So I think the team uh, spirit of, and coordination and collaboration is key and not just in healthcare, but I think about it in like, for example, in, in engineering and where they're emphasizing for young engineers to learn how to communicate and function in, as an effective team member. It's paramount through uh, so many professions, education, for example. And, and, and the big thing is I, that my experience was, was the healthcare. So that is gonna to continue to evolve uh, in an appreciative kind of way for patients and their families to get the very best of care. Yeah. Dodie Brown, thank you for having a dream, chasing it and making a difference. Thank you for listening to my message. <laughs> Enjoyed it, thank you, Dodie. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.